the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to Season 5 of the Wine Crush Podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey everybody, welcome to Wine Crush. We are Season 5, Episode 9, and this is our third legend series and we have true legends with us today we have uh, tom monroe and kate norris just like chuck norris had to revert backwards there for a second with the vision wine co and they have come all the way to mcminnville to join us in our studio welcome to the both of you thank you so much for having us it's a pleasure to be here thank you so much and thank you for the nice introduction you're very welcome i don't know how extraordinarily nice it was but it was honest well and... you called us legends <laughs> you are legends <laughs> and Zola. there was chuck norris in and there. there was chuck norris yeah. which is that's pretty he much right questionable but yeah. we need to find you like your own moniker that you know some famous monroe we can put Marilyn. there we yeah. go mm-hmm. there we go sorry maybe not quite the same president you know, push yes mm-hmm. there when, we, when no, we lived in, mm-hmm. when we lived in france and anybody would ask my name it was always had to say, my name is Tom Monroe, like Marilyn Monroe. Ah, okay, because it's not a common name. Mm-mm. No, the French don't hang out with the Scots, so that's true. Not a thing. Interesting. Well, they did mix blood with the English a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Land deals and stuff. <laughs> um, that's too much history. Yeah. Too much legend. You there. just went straight to the weeds with something that we're not even talking <laughs> yeah. about today. So, <laughs> no, no, we're gonna keep on rolling because that's what makes us fun. Okay, you two. I didn't ask a lot of questions. Tom and I have been back and forth and back and forth with this since well before the pandemic. So it's been about three years in the making to get you guys here. And I'm just excited that you came with him today, Kate, because I wasn't sure if that was going to work or not. He actually just told me last week about this, which is classic Tom Monroe style. He's like, so we have this thing next Thursday. And I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) So... It actually worked out great. So I'm really happy that we're here. It did. We had coffee. Well, we had coffee last week to kind of talk about this. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't think I've written that on my calendar yet. And I'm like, please do. Please do. It's on mine, which me- makes it official. So mm-hmm. it's he's getting better at his I didn't calendar. I did not either. So, you know. <laughs> 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 it wasn't just you. Classic. <laughs> okay, you two, let's start from the beginning because we like to hear why wine, how you got into it, because nobody really comes from the wine industry unless you are over in France and some of the bigger areas that have been around for hundreds of years. So how did this all happen? Chez Panisse. For you. Oh, I feel oh you like mean, that's oh, the for the business. Yeah, I well, feel like the where Oregon started with Chez Panisse. I well, feel I like actually think me. it started way before that. So I, explain what that was, because you just said that. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell he just <laughs> so said. Chez Panisse, a very well-known restaurant in Berkeley that was started by chef Alice Waters in 80s, I think, mid 80s. I think anyway. it's at least 50 years old. Yeah. yeah, it's, well, 40, 50 years old. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's been out there. So never really had much of an experience with Oregon wine, but we were both living in San Francisco and uh, Chez Panisse is all tasting menu and it's, you know, kind of an expensive thing. And we were definitely not in a spot where we could afford most things like that. But on Mondays, they had like, I don't know, it was like 50 bucks, 60 bucks, something like the that. The tasting menu in the restaurant, not yeah. at the cafe. So not at the cafe. Mm-hmm. Downstairs, exactly. And the the main pairing was, a, if I remember correctly, it was a seafood sausage and it came with Pinot Noir from Evesham in the, the Willamette pairing. Valley. That's the mm-hmm. pairing. And it was actually a choucroute garni from the ocean. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. What is that? Okay, Shukugarni, let's define, uh, let's uh, define shuk- that too. Shukugarni is a Alsatian dish that involves sauerkraut and lots of pork products. So this was sort of a rift on it, given it was from California, and it was involving like this beautiful seafood sausage that Alice Waters had made yep. with this uh, really lovely house-made um, sauerkraut and some veggies. And You know, California a little healthier. Uh-huh, I'm just like, when you said seafood sausage, I'm like, I thought I was a pretty good seafood connoisseur. And mm-hmm. I'm like, seafood sausage. I'm trying to literally imagine this in my so mind. It was like, delicious. It had like yeah. shellfish and it had some white fish in there. It had some salmon. It was just this like beautiful seafood medley just encased in sausage casing, yeah. which I bet you was probably vegan sausage casing. Well, maybe it so. wasn't. Uh, I don't think they would have put pork. Who knows? Know. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it never had anything like that before, and it was super good, and it never had anything like the wine before, and that was super good. And it started a email that was sent to Russ Rainey, who was the founder of Evesham Wood, and him getting back to us at some point and being like, yeah, you know, if you're ever here, you know, we'd love to show you around. And, you know, and also I'm from the same town you grew up in. And that was just kind of like in Missouri. In Missouri. And so it was just kind of this little thing. And then flash forward some years. Uh, Tom, I'm going to stop you because it's the, this is like halfway through the story. The story goes way further back than that. You think so? I, mm-hmm, for okay. sure. This is why we have Kate because <laughs> oh she's kind of taking my job over, which I mm-hmm. love. So <laughs> carry it on, girl. So it starts for me in the 1980s with Oregon. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Are we going to go back that far? She <laughs> yeah. asked why. And yeah, far no. Back. Let's, let's start, make it happen. Let's, let's go all the way back. So my family, uh, my dad really loves wine. My mom loves wine too, but my dad really loves wine. I grew up in a couple of different places in Europe, and one of them being in Geneva. And I lived there in 1989. And having grown up in Europe, wine was just sort of a part of everyday life. You know, kids are allowed to drink. It's just a thing. And my dad was always really curious about just wines from around the world while having like a really classical palate and, you know, liking things that were a little bit more on the traditional side, but adventurous also. Um, and he brought home a bottle of Domaine Drouin, their first bottling of Pinot. I think that's the 1988 vintage. Vintage is the first one. Mm -hmm. And it ended up at a wine shop in Geneva. And so he brought a bottle home and was like, look, they're making Pinot Noir in this state called Oregon in America. And so we all tried it together. I was seven years old. Um, (laughs) You were a little older than that. No, no. Because by the time 88 would have come out. Sorry, I I was eight, a little older. Yeah. An eighth of my life older. Maybe maybe close to double digits. <laughs> maybe, yeah, eight turning nine. Let's say that. And then Oregon just kept turning up. You know, I moved to the States in the early 90s, and then we would enjoy Oregon wine at home. And it was something my dad really wanted to do. He really wanted to, like, support the wines that were made in the new country we were living in to really find something. And I think that he was really attracted to Oregon wine just because it really sort of meshed with his sensibility for old world wine. Fast forward, I moved to California. Tom was already living in California. We shared Oregon wine when we first met each other. I mean, I think the first time we all went out to dinner, we got a bottle of Cloudline, which is Domaine like baby label from way back in the day. So this is the early 2000s. DDO keeps kind of coming it back comes up, up. Yeah, up it keeps a, coming up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also, you know, there's an accessibility to that wine. The wine's delicious. You know, they, um, they're they well distributed, right? So they go around the world. 
They have that history of the Burgundian house and the wines here are beautifully made. And so I think at first, those were the wines we really had access to sort of nationwide. Tom and I were married at one point. We served Oregon wine at our wedding in California on a California vineyard. Don't tell the Californians. Do we dare ask what wine you served? It was DDO again. Oh, okay. This is great. Um, Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) But then fast forward from that, moved to St. Louis. Tom went to business school. I was working in catering and event planning, which I'd been doing for a long time. And Tom was tasked with writing a business plan as like the ending competition for business school. And we decided, and he decided that he wanted to write a business plan about starting a winery. And then he solicited my help to get that completed. And that business plan did really well at the business competition. It got second place out of everybody. How Um, many peoples were there total? Maybe 10, 12, something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was all the people in that year's class that participated in the entrepreneurship program. And there was lots of different ideas. And the business plan with for the winery in Oregon gave us this opportunity to do all this research on Oregon. And coming back to Russ, finally take him up on that offer of going to visit Oregon to do a research field trip and learn about the winemaking here. We'd already been living in France for a little bit, though. Yep. Um, and already decided, well, the business plan did awesome. I think that the reason that didn't win was the the quote was that the return on investment wasn't fast enough to win a business plan competition. It was a winery. I mean, we can't lie here. You know, this wasn't a, this wasn't a it's tech a pa- company. It's a passion, passion project. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the economy crashed in 2008, which left Tom's business degree sort of flapping in the wind. It was was pretty wild. It was like I was doing this job that I got through business school in New York. It was like right when everything was kind of going to shit. And the office that I worked out of, it was on Park Avenue. And it was like literally watching all the people walk out with boxes and stuff like that. It was like from a movie and very depressing. And, you know, just also we were at that age where like, if we're going to change it up, this is the moment. This is to the do moment. It. Yeah. And so I was working in catering and event planning, and it was very similarly affected to the financial industry because that job is tied to people having parties and to people celebrating and to companies spending money. And whether they had the money or not, they certainly weren't going to be spending it at that moment. Definitely was um, well frowned upon at that point in time. I think so. People exactly, like right? being extravagant Again. with the money that they did have. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so we looked around and we're like, what are we going to do with our lives? So it's like literally our careers just got cut short. But we were young enough that we could go and try something else for a little bit. And the idea was, you know, wine had always sort of come back to us, right? It was always around and this business plan had been written. So my family owns a really, really small cottage in a region of France called the Loire Volcanique, which is the Auvergne. We have friends that are winemakers. I grew up in this little wine-producing village of 300 people, and there's it's surrounded by vines. Your childhood sounds so amazing, and mm. like <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of moving, but it wasn't bad. No, <laughs> so. it has kind of that fairy tale kind of charm oh, to you. it no. with the European. You know, I mean, no, thank us you. especially in America. I mean, you mm-hmm. don't realize how old things are. Until you leave. Until you and, leave. And then you go, for sure. go to Europe or wherever else. Yeah. So. I mean, I think that uh, I have been so fortunate that I've gotten to see the world 
it's only since I got to Oregon that I have a sense of home. It's the first time, you know. So I've never had like true roots until I got here. 12 years in one place is the longest I've ever done. So it's kind of nice to get to that point mm-hmm. and and have that. And have it finally. Yes, and be yeah. comfortable with it. Yeah. And I think that the grass is always greener. You know, it's like one thing like traveling and seeing so much stuff. Like I don't think you'd learn to appreciate it because you're always looking at these people that have a sense of place and a sense of home. And then you're just like, oh, you're you're girl, you're like upbringing sounds great because I got to be around so many different things. For sure. When maybe you had a sense of place and a sense of home here, maybe. Yep. So everybody to each his own, right? But I'm happy to have both now. But yeah, so we moved to this tiny house in France. And the winemaker that I'd known since I was a really little kid took us under his wing and let us stage with him for a year. And a friend of his um, was teaching wine classes up in the Beaujolais for college, and he agreed to teach us on the side. He had created this program with another peer of his that it kind of had a couple of, I guess, principles. One was to teach all of the viticulture and enology programming, especially to people that kind of grew up in the wine industry that maybe had like a lot of practical experience but needed some kind of educational background. And then also for like old-timer winemakers who needed basically like continuing ed or refreshers on what practices were being used, what equipment, what materials, just, yeah. you know, kind of an update. So we got a crash course. Yeah, we really so we, did. We mm-hmm. got an 18-month, you know, basically crash course and started a viticulture, worked, you know, started from vine biology, worked its way. Geology, geology all of it. Yeah, geography, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, it was a fantastic program. Spent the mornings basically in classroom kind of study and the afternoons, you know, like Kate mentioned geology, we'd go out to a, a site and, you know, we could see the cutouts of the different strata of the soils and we would talk about, okay, this is granite and this is limestone and these are their influences and, you know, this is how much loam is in the soil and how much clay. And and um, then we got to go back to the winery and do like long periods of time working with them on the vines and cellar and it was great. And so we did that for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And... That is where Chez Panisse comes in. Got, Can you imagine that it. he was going to start just at Chez Panisse? No, but Chez Panisse <laughs> was before when we were still in the Bay Area. Uh, no, it was not when we were in the Bay Area. It's when we came back. It was Really? Yeah, I promise, yeah. I it's thought okay. Chez was... It was actually one of our wedding anniversaries, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Divorced. <laughs> I really didn't remember that. I it's thought a, it was why we were living a, there. It's okay, this, this is why we have both of you here. Because mm-hmm. we're old you, now, you so always, we have no memory. Well, yeah. that, you always remember different pieces of the stories. I so. remember the meal. I just remember, I remember the, the meal and the wine. Do you remember what like, we have for dessert? No. Baba or rum. Oh, See, okay. I remember the dessert. I remember that sausage being like transcendent and mm-hmm. just being like, and this that is wine so. and the wine. Can, and it was the, the most wine. perfect pairing I'd ever had to that point. And that wine made us actually focus on Oregon and give Russ Rainey that call. And he was so sweet. He invited us to stay at his house with his wife, Mary, and their son. And when we got here, he just showed us around. He like literally drove us to vineyards. We went to dinners with his winemaker friends. We played ping pong. Yeah, I mean, I think the first night was a dinner with at Brian O'Donnell's house 
it was like Belpont. It was Steve Dorner from Christum. It was yeah. Scott Wright from Scott Paul Winery. And, and then Tom and me, like two and then kids. Us too. Like, yeah. yeah. Like we're like, what are we doing here? Children. It's, yeah. It's like there the, was some beer pong that went on until about four. There was no beer pong, just regular beer pong, ping pong. Oh. Steve Dorner's really good at it. Actually, they're yeah. all very yeah, good. Yeah, they're at all it. very good at it. Mm-hmm. Beer is always involved in But great, there was beer drinking wine. in pong. There, there was, was some dr- beer. There, going there was some beer with the ping pong. I do remember what we ate that night too. Do you remember? Um, I, there was, there was, I know it started with this soda pop sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. And then I had these two of the things I first eaten for the first time in my life. It was like, it's Oregon. Whole, yeah, it was like schnook salmon or something. No, it was Oregon albacore. Oregon albacore. Mm-hmm. I knew there was Never fish. I remember Oregon the whole, like before. seeing the whole filet mm-hmm. out or something. And then there was also garlic scapes. Mm, mm, that's so true. There was those with the I butter. I love dripping. this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of been all over the place. And food and wine are always so magical together. So yeah, so we ended up uh, falling in love with Oregon and thinking that we really wanted to work here. Um, I think that Tom was really convinced, and I was like ninety five percent convinced. And the thing that put it over the edge for me was actually we had dinner at Nick's Italian Cafe. And we had a, one of the first bottlings of Elk Cove's Roosevelt Vineyard for dinner. So it was like, I think, mid-90s bottling. I think that's one of the first vintages. Mm-hmm. And I feel really bad that I can't remember because this comes back into a story My head later. always says to 93. And I think it was 94 or 97 for some reason. So I don't know. Um, we got most of the 90s covered in, in, in that, there, in that exactly. range. Somewhere so, in the mid-90s. And somewhere from an A to an A+. Plus. But we had that bottle of wine, and I was like, I said yes to Oregon over that bottle of wine. So It showed that the aging capacity was there in a way that we really – I mean, most of the wines that we had from Oregon were previous to that were current vintage mm-hmm. or maybe a few years older. We had a, we did have an old one that was at Brian's, too – that I don't remember whether I liked it or not. We had not a whole lot of experience with that. And when you when you can try a wine that's from a region and you can see how it evolves over 20 or 25 years and you're like, and it has that capacity, you're like, okay, this can be done. And be done, there's yeah. something amazing that's possible mm-hmm. here. So I'd say we finished our studies and we packed all our stuff back up from France and moved here and drove... From the East Coast, we'd left all our stuff at my mom's place and on the East Coast and drove all the way out to Portland and sight unseen rented this loft down in the Pearl in Portland. Was it the Pearl at the time or was it pre-Pearl? It was It was the Pearl. It was the Pearl. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was one of those things where I think the economy had crashed so hard and real estate was in such a the dumps that we got this like great loft apartment for like basically no money. And then we started to look for jobs. And we said that we were going to find our way into the industry here and start working. And we said that we weren't going to start making wine right away. We were going to, like, get our feet wet. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Spoiler (laughs) alert. Um, So we said that was 2010. March 1st, 2010. That was the day that we moved here. I like that that sound probably sounded good with the pop and the cork. And the, it it yeah. did. It always sounds good. <laughs> we have kind of the glug, 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 and you have the pop. I gave you a little like rinse Oh, rinse? There. Okay. Yeah. And? Oh, wow. The aromatics on that are amazing just right off the bat. Thank you. Sauvignon Blanc. She's a shower. 
That's probably one of my very favorite whites. Oh, So wonderful. nice choice, bringing that in. Oh, great. So we started making wine that year. So did you go to work for somebody else prior to starting kind of making wine on your own, or did you just literally so, jump headfirst? Yeah, first? so Kate got a, a great financial job because my job was crap financial. Um, <laughs> but Kate got a job with Penarash doing hospitality and you were the hospitality director, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess. I don't think that they ever gave me the title yeah. director, but I was in charge of it for you a while. You were in charge of it for a while. And Methvin Family Vineyards gave me kind of a quasi-free job, but with came with grapes and winemaking capacity. And Kate would then come over after she was done at yeah, her so I'd be done at job work for at money. Six. <laughs> and then we'd make wine <laughs> all we'd night. We'd make wick wine because, yeah, the daytime was kind of spent doing stuff for the Methvin family. And we had one car, so I was... Exactly. Yeah, so, so I'd, I'd drop her off at the... No, I would drop you or, yeah. off. But no, I dropped you off sometimes, sometimes. too. Yeah, and then drive I would need all the, the car. way back up, drive all the way back down. <laughs> yep. It was a lot of, yeah, it was a lot of uh, logistics. A lot of running around. And exactly. Is that when gas prices were high? It was that when they were not as high as they are now. I know. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it was as torturous as a moment right now, mm-hmm. but I'm sure they, yeah, I'm sure it was high. Yeah, high um, and, yeah, lovely. So, yeah, so we so we started that and we started making... It's just over 300 cases to get going. Your first year? Walloping Mm -hmm. 10 barrels. 10 barrels. (laughs) I know, but 300 cases is still for like literally right out of the gate. Seems like even like almost a little bit. It was daunting when we we bottled it because it it was like, what the hell are we going (laughs) to do with all this wine? And I, you know, she says that and I do like sometimes think about that, like, oh, 300 cases isn't very much. But then I also remember how hard it could be to sell 300 cases and to see where it has gone from then to now is is pretty cool Mm -hmm. but i remember that first when you're trying to make a name for yourself and like you're just out there Mm -hmm. you're just out there and i mean those that first year or so was like we would split up the names of restaurants and it would be like take a bottle or two and go have happy hour there because happy hour is usually the quietest time there and maybe you could catch the wine buyer or the server and somebody and sometimes it went nowhere well, and you just have also, a drink and leave and sometimes there's a couple of things that were like in our favor here first of all is that the 2007 vintage had gotten panned by the critics even though it's delicious. And so there was a grape glut. Well, there was actually a wine glut. There was too much wine flooding the market, which meant that a lot of people weren't going to make as much wine in the coming years, which meant then in 2010, there were still contracts that were up for grabs. Like there were great grapes on the table, just available for us to work with. And then also the restaurant economy had not recovered, which meant that happy hour was relatively quiet, which meant you could have the ear of the person that was sitting there. Yeah. I mean, you walk into a happy hour these days and it's wild, right? I mean, certainly not during the pandemic, but just prior or even you now I went to happy hour on Tuesday. It was like, whoa. So um, it almost sounds like you're at the right place at the right time. Our timing time. was really good. That's yeah. life. I think like, that, li- that life is timing with some hard work I, and some good luck. I didn't percent. go to school in good timing, so I graduated the undergraduate. Twice. Nine, she did timing twice. 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. and I graduated <laughs> from grad school in the financial economy, like, cratered. So I was like, I didn't pick very good for when to go to school, and uh, but we picked good for when to start the winery. Yeah, and for timing sure. was great. There was, as Kate noted, like, great opportunities with, like some of the top tier vineyards 
And so we got in kind of at a moment where there was an opening. An opening. And, and then we stayed. Yeah. And, you know, there was others that got into it. And in my mind kicked off probably the third or maybe fourth real generation of Oregon. Definitely. I think fourth wave fourth for sure. Wave yeah. Fourth to or, fifth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What wave are we on now? Just out of curiosity. Ooh, it's like, probably well, a new one starting right now. Actually. Yeah. Like because after a, re a cycle, like an economy dip, you'll get a whole people, a bunch of people that leave and a bunch of people that come in. We're, so. we're in the consolidating spot right now where you're seeing a lot of the like first and second generation winemakers are at that like retirement age plus and they're looking for how to transition their wineries. Yeah, for sure. And, and they're being sold. There's a lot. There's been a lot of mm -hmm. uh, vineyard sales. And so there's a lot of people that want to change their careers. So a lot of people we're going to see, and we see this actually because of the winery that we run, it's um Custom Crush facility. The amount of requests for Custom Crush has jumped in the last it's, three It's months. high right it's now. It's insane. But so. it's different from when we started because access to the grapes right now is extremely tight. It's as tight as I've like ever seen it you know even where we are now established well over a decade good reputation you know payer growers all those kind of things like we have a difficult time securing additional grapes and have dealt with the yeah, challenges the amount that's getting planted yeah. is not keeping up with the amount of exactly. demand in the right timing so but it will at some point yeah so you see these folks that are like requesting capacity from us and i'm like i kind of do a little interview with them. So like, what's your experience in wine? And you try to like feel out like, is this going to be somebody that's going to work out well in the winery? And do they know what they're doing? Will and they play well in the sandbox? Exactly. And do they know, are those grape contracts real? You know, exactly. it's like, and do then, they actually know about what, where the yields are going to sit? And you know, it's like. Yeah. And some of these grapes they're talking about are just like, oh, well, we're getting something from like Idaho or like this. And they, it's because getting... Pinot, a young person starting off their wine career, you know, and saying, hey, we're going to, you know, even if they are working for another vineyard or doing something else, but they're right like now. looking at saying, oh, well, Pinot Noir is a minimum of $3,500 a ton right now for the quality stuff. And it's like, like, well, I can't really do very much with that. I mean, that's, it's a big financial consideration. And so, yeah, we were really, really fortunate in our timing to get into the Willamette Valley, I do not think it is easy. And it hasn't been as easy for the last probably half a decade for younger people to get in. And I, I mean, I'd concur just with what I see on a daily basis, you know, with just regular old work. So time means everything. It yeah. is. Yep. It really is. And so, yeah, so feel incredibly fortunate. And, you know, Tom and I worked really hard then to grow the business after that. So we started with, you know, just over 300 cases. We grew it again the next year. Doubled it the second year. Second year. I worked two jobs. I think you were able to get out the third year. Yeah, I was fine. And, but then ended up working like three jobs for us. For us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Those, those, those years from like three to eight or nine were like just assaulting amounts of work. <laughs> you mean 13 to 19? Years three of the Oh, years three to nine. nine. Yeah, I was like, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. so out of sheer curiosity, what year did the divorce decide to finally? Oh, uh, well, the divorce. 14? 15. 15. Okay. 15. So you'd already gone through like a lot of the hard part. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like this 
atrocious amount of work was kind of it definitely not, played and, a part. and not that i'm asking you know i don't want to pry but i'm just like but, i was like you, you guys have been so open about our divorce yeah no i don't need the details i'm just wondering you know kind well, of, yeah i think um, but i think it's so cool that you guys work so well together mm-hmm. because Tom's that's my, a, that's like in any partnership well. but yeah. that's also like any business partnership personal partnerships they're constant works in progress mm-hmm. and but you know i it wasn't I, it wasn't anything that that I can say. It, it's kind of the old adage of you know, don't work where you sleep, <laughs> and yeah, and no, taking we, we taking the lot. trials of a building a business like this and the amount of hours it was, and then taking it home did not leave. It didn't work. A lot. It didn't work for us at all. Like we're yeah. really good at working together, but imagine having to do that twenty four hours a day. Yeah, I oh, literally imagine going home so and much. That's, that's the way I, you have to talk about there, at dinner. Yeah, those like, few people who no. do do it, I kind of wonder. I'm like, how? Or do I? Or do you just live in a relationship where there's just like. That's just what you. That's accepted. just what you do. That's, yeah. that's yeah. where the passion. That's where yeah. it is. starts and finishes. Yeah, yeah exactly. and yeah. so we decided that we would. I mean, Tom's family. You're my family. You know, it's like he's one of my oldest friends, and uh, yeah, we're just better at this than that. And so you keep what's good. We're it's probably life. better at it now than we've ever been at ever it. Ever, yeah, it's true. Maybe that's just age and experience. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> Mellowing. It could, be, it could be so many different <laughs> yeah. things. So many different things. I'm thankful for it. Though. Yes. I want to talk more about the wine, um, but let's um, take just a super quick break. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we've already dipped into the second bottle of wine, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we can't it's do okay. it again. It's okay. The listeners don't yes. know that. They don't, <laughs> other than they did hear, hear Tom pop the bottle pop of the wine. Bottle. But they didn't hear me pop the first one. No, so. they didn't. So, shh, it's only been one bottle. Anyhow, everybody grab a glass of wine. We're going to be right back and uh, refill our glasses as well. Sounds great. are back and we have cookies. Allie with the sweetest spoon and um, brought us in cookies for our tasting session that we usually have when we do the recordings. And so this time we have chocolate chip cookies with sea salt. So they're really yummy. Yeah, they look amazing and I haven't even gotten that far yet. So we have a pinot which is, which AVA is this? Eole Amity Hills. Eole Amity. brought this one for you because you live in the Eole Amity Hills. I do live in the Eole Amity Hills. So thank you for that. And then we have a Sauv Blanc, which you guys have not heard us actually talk about the wine yet, but we're going to get into that. But first, the cookies. Mm-hmm. So Tom and Kate have already um, sampled it all. So thoughts oh, yeah, by themselves yeah. are delicious. Mm-hmm. I think it's milk chocolate, which I love. Good saltiness. And you were saying that you really love a soft cookie. You know, I like all cookies. I like a crispy cookie. I like a soft cookie. I do not care. It depends on the kind of cookie. Mm-hmm. I've become kind of a snut when it comes to chocolate chip cookies. In particular, I want them soft and chewy like this. If they're crunchy and you can run over them with a bus and they don't crack, I won't eat them. Mm. It's not worth my calorie count. Mm. To try Have you it. had the Tate's cookies? I was gonna say that's what I was just thinking about. It's the Tate's. only one. It's the only one I like that's crispy. You just get it at the grocery store these days, but they started as a company on Long Island, mm-hmm. like a little cookie stand. They come in a green bag at the grocery store and get them at Safeway. And they are a fully crispy cookie, and like the butter content is super high, so it's almost mm. like a crispy lace type deal, and it's and almost caramelized. That I think is amazing, but I love a soft. So I mean, we're really going to do a cookie pairing today, right? Yeah, we are going to do a cookie pairing. So yeah. I want I want to hear your thoughts. Okay, so Blanc, Blanc or Pinot. 
I kind of like the soft. I'm liking the soft right yeah. now. Yeah. It kind of cuts through that butter and the sugar and stuff. And do you know what's also really fun is both of these wines are salty. So I think it adds a little bit more to that salt, salt-like mm-hmm. com- component going on in the cookie. I think it definitely changes the the flavor of the Pinot a little bit just with kind of that that chocolate and that little bit of salt. The Sauvignon Blanc is definitely where it's at. Mm-hmm. I agree. It mm-hmm. just like there's so much like back-end richness mm-hmm. that's pulled out. I really like that. It does something really cool with the butter. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I just it's that I think I would that have acid never balance in my mu- wildest mind though, like thought chocolate chip cookie and sauvignon blanc would work together. This is why we do this. How fun yeah. is this, right? I mean, the whole does idea- it work or does it just work better? I think it actually works. I think it works. Yeah, I think cool. it works too. Because I mean, some things you you taste and you eat and you're like, mm, yeah, I can do that, but is it really good? Is it really enhancing the wine? Is it really enhancing the food? This I think is enhancing I, both. I, I think have- it's also because it's the milk chocolate. I think if it was dark dark chocolate, chocolate, we would have been going with the Pinot Noir. The other reason I think it's working is seasonal. Like, I think it's like kind of nice and bright out right now. And if it was the holidays, we'd kind of be more leaning towards like the warming spices in the Pinot. But I think in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's springtime, like springtime pairing. So there you go. We got a little bit of culinary opinionated, you know, mm-hmm. opinions with the with the actual food and wine themselves. Foods and really there is a huge difference with chocolate between dark chocolate, semi milk chocolate and white chocolate for that matter and and all the other chocolates. But I do think this Sauv Blanc totally kicks this thing out of the ballpark. That's yeah, great together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now that we have chomped our cookies in the microphones, let's talk about wine. We've established your timeline. We know kind of where division. Did you start as division wine? Division wine making company always. Yeah. Okay. So it hasn't started somewhere and morphed somewhere else. Like one block off of Division Street. Yeah, Kate still does. The first winery was at Division and Thirty Fifth. Our new winery is two blocks off. Two blocks off of Division, and it'll be at Eighth and just two blocks off Division. So which one was I at? You were at the 35th and Division one. Okay, so that was the one with the Wee Wine Bar yes. and mm-hmm. the Tetris in the back with all the different winemakers exactly. going on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. Just yes. And I wasn't even there during Harvest, but just kind of imagining the truly a Tetris game going on with forklifts and barrels and bins it and was, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was home and it was ours. And so- we, And we knew we, it. And we knew it and we loved it. But the Tetris and the logistics of Harvest and- just the challenges of a growing division street and neighborhood, they, I think, got us to a spot where we're like, we need something else or this this ship will <laughs> crash into an <laughs> iceberg and kill yeah. us all. <laughs> well, it was one of those things that actually, as the, we knew that we needed it, but as the pandemic happened and as life slowed down a little bit, we still worked all the way through it. We'd never had a pandemic break. Not one. We just pivoted 436,000 We did, but as those pivots happened, (laughs) it like became really clear that we needed more space. But anyway, we're talking about the building again. We want to be talking about the wine, right? I think it all adds to the personality (laughs) of what you guys got going on. Yeah. So new new building. New building. Still under construction. Still under construction. Well, it's old building, still under renovation. There you go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that'll be ready for harvest this year. Old building being turned new. Will there new. be a tasting room in it? We have not done our forward-facing plans yet. We certainly have sort of kicked some stuff around. I'm not quite ready to announce any of them. Nope, that's totally um, fine. But we will be production only through this year, and there will be something forward-facing in 2023. Look for it then. 
Big there smile. There we go. Yes. Okay, let's I, talk wine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you had something no, else to say. I, you know, she's like, there's ideas that we have in our mind that like in the world of the vacuum work really great. And then the realities of, you know, where we're located and just the challenges that we've had getting this winery even up to production maybe make us think we're going to, you know, live in the space for a little bit and see how we, it goes. And and bought ourselves some time with our, you know, this. And our contractor that he's an awesome guy and has helped us with the first winery too. He, you know. We're he, never going to talk about the yeah, wine. <laughs> I know. We will talk about the wine. If we have to be here until your five yeah. o'clock cutoff time or whatever it is, we will talk about the wine. Tom, you keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, he, you know, he said it's cliche, but he goes, live in the space for a year and decide what you want to do then. We might live in that in a year and be like, hey, we need more space. We need more space for or us, Or yeah. we're going to be like, yeah, we see how this envisions. And so we're waiting. And and a chunk of that is also driven by like how, what we were talking about at the mm -hmm. break, how crazy supply chain stuff is, mm -hmm. how expensive materials are. And also being a little bit more mature. Yeah. And knowing that there's no rush and that wine is actually just time. Mm -hmm. You know, they're related. So that's again kind of it was kind of a romantic way of putting that. And I I really think it's smart with what you're doing because I mean everything's changing right now. Yeah. I mean, coming out of the pandemic, it's changing. You're moving buildings, that's changing. Your your whole model is kind of changing as far as what you want to see. And and maybe that is that maturity level or I don't know. Maybe there's a secondary dream that's, that's brewing. That's brewing, exactly, and we don't yes. even see it yet. There's yeah. moments, I as, think. As a good transition into the wine, we did realize through the pandemic that we could be better connectors. I'm not going to – I know, like, maybe the typical word would be marketers, but I think we were did a good job at connecting our wines via the digital sphere with our potential customers. And so we have put – considerably more en energy into that. And we hired this great guy, Brian, and we've taken steps to enhance our website and a whole host of other things, all to help us get the wine to the right people in a time where it was harder to physically get in front of one another. Yeah, and that's, I think, the wine goes in all directions, but that's one of them. Mm -hmm. We make so many different kinds of wine, and there's so many different people that are attracted to wine in general. And think that Tom and I do a really good job of telling a really broad story of Oregon and the Pacific Northwest through what we make. And this is a really unique time in wine to be able to share that story. I think the American drinking public is more interested than ever before. Those that are getting to know about wine or are learning, that's really easy to be able to find different outlets to learn about it. I mean, this podcast is one of them, right? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> that's the idea anyways. It's fun. It's been really fun being a part of this sort of growing up of a wine drinking society over the last 10 years and to make the wines we love to drink. Segway into the wines we're drinking right now. There da, we da, go. Da. That's, I, was, <laughs> I was trying to find an avenue that made sense. She hit it. <laughs> yeah. Did it. You just, you, you toss the ball and I just yes, you know, hit it out of the park. In hockey, yeah. they call that the one-timer where you pass <laughs> it and then it's goal. Goal. Done. So let's start with Sauvignon Blanc, I think. I love Sauvignon Blanc. It's one of my, I love great aromatic white wines. And Sauvignon Blanc is probably one of my very, very favorites, along with Riesling. Oh, that's um, wonderful. So yeah, this was a great choice. Not only did you pick one of my favorite whites, so thank you, blindly, because I don't think that was probably planned. And you brought one from my home. Um, yes. Yeah, so this is, it's all Oregon fruit. 
Um, and actually, I'm going to say something really controversial right now. Tom and I have a love-hate relationship with Sauvignon Blanc. We mostly, it was mostly hate. We mostly so. hate it. <laughs> For the most part. Yeah. Can't stand the shit. The making of it or the no, tasting of it? just there's certain bottlings that are in this world that I find to be really let's just be honest basic there is a there is a <laughs> style that comes from a certain south of the equator island based country and this is a big generalization and, and this is an overgeneralization it's uh it, it's sold very well and we can't you know debate that um but, but for us it was never something that we really enjoyed and so getting the opportunity to try to make Sauvignon Blanc in a different lens and maybe something that was a little closer to what we had experienced when we were living in the old world and then as we've just drinking more wines from around the world gave us this thought that, you know, Oregon's a magical spot. Things tend to be pretty amazing that grow here. And especially in the Willamette, you know, you can you can do really anything with agriculture. And I'm going to 100% credit Tom for the, for this bottling being here because he said these things. He said, he's like, the potential is here to make something that is unique, that tells the story of Oregon through a different lens, that still honors that frontier spirit of Oregon being planted not that long ago. We're talking the mid-60s in the Willamette Valley, right? And I looked at him and I was like, if I don't like it, we're pulling the plug, and I reserve the right to after we. You said give me two years. I think we just said give us one year. I think it was two. I said I was yeah. like I think I was generous. It was like if after two years, I, I can't stand what we're making, then we're not going to do it anymore. Our motto is is we make what we like to drink, mm -hmm. like, and I agreed. It was you were totally cool with yeah, that. No, because it was an interesting challenge. And I wanted to expand some of the white wines that we did. And Sauvignon Blanc was definitely in the realm of the Loire varietal. And There's some you know, producers in the Loire that Tom and I covet. I mean, Cotat, Dagano, there's some Sauvignon Blancs out there that have like this incredible depth and are life-changing, but there's so little of it. You know, and and so I was like, well, like, why, how are we going to make a difference? <laughs> so whatever. But yeah, so the first year we made Sauvignon Blanc, we worked with two different vineyards, one in the Willamette Valley and one out in the- No, the first year was just- oh, just- No, yeah, the first year was just, just an Eolus, Eolus Amity Hills, Hills one. Yeah, that's right. That was Myron- um, Reference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amity Vineyard. Byron, no, it was actually no. his home vineyard. Oh, his home so, vineyard. so at the, at the, the it's end named of Eola Hills Road, correct? So Myron Redford and Vicki Weddle, his wife, is the Redford Weddle. It's right or, right next to Brooks. Okay, below yeah, that's, Brooks. What, I, that's yeah. what I'm looking. Yeah, so right below Dick Crannell's um, vineyard. Yes. Um, so I yeah, so that's right. Time. Sorry, I completely forgot. The first year was just that vineyard. The second vine the second year we added in a thanks to our friend Daryl Johannes, we added in a vineyard up the Allegra Vineyard up right above. Hood River, so right on the flanks of Mount Hood, and they have a Friulian clone of Sauvignon Blanc up there. Um, Which was like super grassy. and very, I think really floral, actually. Yeah, and, and mm -hmm. like kind of minty, mm -hmm. you know, like a lot yeah, of like- and like get some like clover from it too. It's got these beautiful, it's not grass, grass notes. It's like sweet, like sweet grass notes, like softer. And so year one was fine. Year two was 
better. Your two is pretty good. Yeah, and then um, yes, better. <laughs> I, I love you too. And then we played around a little bit with our oak program and then some more stainless. But that convinced me to go into year three after year two. I was like, oh, I think we need to switch up and we need to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you said, totes cool, Kate. 19 was pretty amazing. Totes cool. Totes cool, Kate. <laughs> we can do it. I think he was just amazed that I was willing to keep going. Well, you know, it. the wines were getting better and they, they were, were and they were selling incredibly well, they which were. helps you. It gives makes you some the confidence. It gives you the decision making is a little easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And people were loving it. And, and we've gotten it to a point where... So funny, I took out these spring wines for the first time in Portland about a month ago, and we made uh, five bottlings for the spring. And I, and I came home and I was like, turns out the Sauvignon Blanc was the best one of the bunch. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, who knew? It's almost like that instinct, you know, that you find something that, you know, maybe is different, maybe is new, maybe is challenging, but when you like nail it, you know it. Mm-hmm. And this is. So good. Oh, thank you. But I don't want to run out of time because we have about, I don't know, we have about 10 or so minutes left. Talk and about Pinot? We need to talk Pinot, but I think, we need, to, I think we I need think to talk we, yeah. about Gamay. Mm-hmm. I think we need to talk about Gamay first. Yeah, so about, I mean, Pinot. Well, we brought a delicious Pinot from the uh, Eola Springs Vineyard, which is the first vineyard that we worked with here in Oregon in 2010 that Russ Rainey introduced us there to we go. the owner. So we're it bringing it full comes around. Yes. And it's my favorite Pinot Vineyard. Tom's favorite Pinot Vineyard is Temperance Hill. But this is my favorite. And these vines were planted. 1972 was the earliest planting that's in this bottle. And we still um, get that block. And we still get that block. Wow. So, it's And to my knowledge, it's the first Pinot Noir planting of the Yolamity Hills. Yeah. So exactly where is fruit. that on the hill? It's pretty low down on the hill on the western face of Orchard Heights slopes, Road. Orchard Heights, like oh, closer okay. to Salem. So you okay. come around the corner there we go. and it's right there. Mm-hmm. Got it. it okay. Just gets I'm with you. pummeled by the Van Duzer. So mm-hmm. there's... Great steady airflow through right it. next to it's next to Mark Royer's vineyard and then Denny Peso Sojourner Sojourner they're mm-hmm. all in that same got it zone. okay yes. I'm with mm-hmm. you so yeah so that this is Pinot and this is you know it's just I love this bottling each year and we've been making this bottling since 2010 this so, this is um, the the geology on this site is special sauce uh, it's yes it, and it's somewhat unique to the region because it's it is lower down and it's, you know, you can walk around and it's a very high calcium site and like our more volcanic clay sites. And even and for a high calcium site for our marine sedimentary, it's extra marine sedimentary. Yes. I mean, right. you can see the old fossilized little mollusks and oyster shells in the soils there. And it's like, you can see the kind of like chalky nature of the, it's ground that used to be seabed. And it plays um, through in the water that's, so hard. a lot of that's covered up now in this area. It's either been covered up with the loss from the winds or from Missoula floods or from volcanic activity. And so these little spots like this that have this still are great. Most of them don't work very well because they're a little too low in elevation and too warm. But this one being basically just like dead center on the Van Duzer quarter gets the cool afternoon breezes and stays considerably cooler than most other sites of similar elevation. So we end up having really, really great acidity retention and these just like a wine that always ends up being kind of briny and interesting and kind it's of like nori to me nori, here. Lots yeah. of seaweed. But okay, we should move on from Pinot since we're running out of time. Tom we, and I. We could literally sit here for hours and talk, <laughs> but. That's what we do. Yes. 
Tom and I love gaming. I actually, when you said an hour, I was like, well, okay, two would probably be more sufficient. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I unlike you, Tom. Yeah, yeah I know. I think when we, um, we originally <laughs> met at the We Wine Bar, we were doing something else at Division that day. And it was like bottle after bottle. He's like, here, this is interesting. Try this. And finally had to call like a red flag. And I'm like, I have to drive home. So we cannot open or drink any more bottles of wine. It was us and Drew and I think Jason Gerstein was there. And well, fun. Yeah, it was it was a good day. It was a good day. Yep. Okay. Okay. So Gamay. back to we I haven't Gamay. even really talked about Gamay. We could probably dedicate a whole hour to Gamay, but Gamay's um, the best. Yes. So you know, we went to school in the Beaujolais, and at the time we went to school in the Beaujolais, it was a very so, run down to oh, it was abandoned so vineyards that were sad. 80, 90, 100 years old. And you're just kind of like heartbreaking to see this. Just have been abandoned completely. Yeah. or so, And then a little bunch of people were overspraying in some areas. And so you were having oh, like yeah. scorched earth policy going on. And it was an interesting time where there was a bunch of crew wines, the, the crew Beaujolais, which are you know, the top ones, that suddenly compared to the pricing of Burgundy, your like quality to value ratio was super high, and so these this were the, these were the lights. Again. These yeah. were the like the lights shining through the darkness of yeah. the of the times of. But it also was like the timing of the downturn in the economy, and people not being able to afford expensive Burgundy, and younger Psalms coming on the scene and rediscovering Cru Beaujolais at the same time that Tom and I had completely fallen in love with making it. It was like. Perfect timing for it all. Yeah. But it's the grape I drink every day. And serendipity with going, you know, having us making our wine and working at Methvin, the row right in front of the the first 10 rows in front of the crush pad are Gamay. And we didn't even really know there was any Gamay in Oregon. And we knew it was going to be on our like list of things that we needed to accomplish. But, you know, sure enough, here's Gamay right right in front of our faces, literally. Mm -hmm. And they had been blending it into their Pinot Noir. A lot of people have been doing that. Yeah, it was a, you know, kind of like a color acidity kind of thing because it, you know, it just has that capacity. And so sits through the weather really well at exactly. the end of the season. Easier to farm. It's a little hardier, you know. higher crop. So, yeah. So we convinced the Dr. Methvin, who unfortunately just passed away a few months ago, to help us with, you know, letting us make it some individually, some for them and some for us. And we just loved how that old block turned out. And it gave us... It really gave us a pathway to building the winery that we didn't have before because now we had a wine that was very unique for the region. And it, I mean, I will honestly say it tasted amazing and I think it did. And we got the notice for that. And it was a great way to lead into discussion points about, you know, hey, we have something really interesting that very few people are doing. And and so we... We decided that Gamay was going to be a major component. Well, it of also our was program. really the best part is that not only did we decide that, but it was like authentically us too. You know what I mean? It was like one of those things where it landed in our lap. It gave us this opportunity to distinguish ourselves as winemakers, and it's something that we loved. Yeah. You know, and it's like it's the trifecta. And then, Kate, and then Kate comes up with this idea to have the first all Gamay wine club, which we, is the only wine club we still, like, in its initial interpretation, we still have. Mm-hmm. And we don't know if anybody else in the world has an all Gamay wine club, but we do. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Because, and it's I popular. Mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't know anything about Gamay. And it's funny that you say that because I think the first time I had Gamay 
was at meth then. And because I'm just like, you know, being new to the wine industry six years ago and not knowing really shit about shit, um, I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know what this is. This seems so crazy. But then your guys' name kept coming to the forefront of kind of almost like the leaders of the pack, so to speak, of the Gamay in the Pacific Northwest. Well, to be honest, we are second wave in that. Myron Redford is number one there. He convinced the first plantings of Gamay to happen at Eola Springs Vineyard in the 88. Doug and Tunnell win- then went on to plant it. Actually, it's Wynn. Um, so Wins, Harry, yeah, Harry, Harry was next. Yep. And then Doug after that. And they all beat that drum for a really long time. And some people listened and some people didn't. But they unfortunately were not able to get as much kind of headway with it as I think but they the would But the timing hoped. with Cru Beaujolais coming back online and with this downturn in the economy meant that it was interesting to have an American comparison to what was going on in France. And something that had a little bit more value capacity to it where we could mm-hmm. say, hey, here's a $20 bottle of wine, you know, that it's very hard to do that at the highest levels with Pinot Noir, just nature of its yield and how much it costs to farm and how long you have to age it for to do it properly. But here with Gamay, we can do things that just don't cost as much and on the producing side on the growing side and yeah we hit this moment it was the timing again the timing and, again and yeah and, and thankful for these forefathers that had planted it and had started that conversation so that it wasn't like totally left field you know that people were like oh yeah like there's other people that have made this and they're delicious there's just not that much of it you know so they sort of set a train going for us to really catch and to ride with, which is wonderful. And that's Oregon for you, right? That's how it works here. For sure. Yep. In so many different respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's working with Gamay now for me is, you know, Pinot Noir has made such an amazing story in a, such a short time. It's king of, here. It is king and it's rightfully king. And Gamay is prince. And, <laughs> and, 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 and yeah. And I think Kate and I are a big part of that story. And I like, You know, it's something that we've cared a lot about. You know, we've started a wine festival on called I Love Gamay that has been kind of in limbo, pandemic limbo, (laughs) semi (laughs) retirement, pandemic limbo. We're just going to call it that. But, um, you know, I mean, the nature of Gamay is you want to all hang out together. So it doesn't really work when you can't be around each other. So, but, uh, but, uh, you know, when we started doing this, we could find, maybe a dozen people that were making a gamay. Like, I mean, that was a few years after we had started it. And now there's in the range of 40, maybe 40, 50. 50. It's, wow. It's, yeah. It's we've made, a, we've made a, a big enough problem that it's hard to find yeah. enough grapes. It's hard for us now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And you know what? Success, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Success. <laughs> you got to kind of almost take that glass half full. Oh, so, 100%. Yeah. 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 I was like, Absolutely. I made my own problem. Like, that's my fault and I will own it happily. It, it builds it up people, though too. Like, it, it makes the... The region now has like another thing that it can be, you know, like, I mean, Chardonnay had this too when we first started. Like people, we would take our Oregon Chardonnay out and they'd be like, oh, Oregon Chardonnay? Well, why would we want that? There's the greatest Chardonnay on earth is from California. And like, yeah, not so fast. And, really? Uh, Someone said that? That is incorrect. Yeah. I mean, this was 10 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. And yeah, but those wines were like, you would, when we would early go out to see distributors, especially the further east we got, they would be like, oh, you're from Morgan. Where's your Willamette Pinot Noir? And that would be like the only thing they think that we would have with us. You I know? mean, people still say that to me. I go on the road and people are like, you're from Oregon, you make Pinot? I'm like, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> Ask me about what else I make. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, okay. So let's touch about that because you said you make 
27 different ferments. Is that mm, what you told me? Tw- bottlings. So bottlings. bottlings. Uh, upwards of 30 some years. But yeah, in that 27 to 30 range. So you're kind of covering a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our furthest north vineyards are the northernmost point of the Yakima. Our southernmost vineyards are the southernmost point of the Applegate Valley. So you're kind of you literally spreading the Pacific Northwest we from are. north to south. Yeah. And we love it. I mean – we make the wines we love to drink, as Tom has said earlier. I love the wines. I don't love the logistics. I'll be honest with that. Oh, Tom, it's not time to bitch about that yeah. stuff. We're lucky. <laughs> We're very lucky. But you know, the last few years with just hey, we make the realities problems, of what's remember? happened. Exactly. We created this monster, and now we have to live with it. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty great monster. It's a delicious monster, if you ask me. But yeah, we get to celebrate the Pacific Northwest. We love all varieties of grapes. I mean, there's, you know, there's only a certain few in this world that I'm really not interested in. But we live in this area where so many things grow and there's so many different climates and so many different soil series. And it's like, I don't know, this is the USA, like celebrate it, right? Like do it. We don't have rules like where Tom and I learned how to make wine. You're not supposed to stick in your lane. Like you can be in all the lanes here if you want to. I think that's what makes it interesting is when you don't stay in the lanes, you veer out of the lanes a little bit. Sometimes you hit the ditch a time or two, but you end up with this amazing problem that you keep saying that you have. But I mean, you guys have really taken, I feel like Portland by storm with the urban winery kind of model and just your guys' personalities are just freaking off the charts. And the wines speak for themselves. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. And we could literally be here for hours and hours and we could- (laughs) It's okay. When you you drink and get drunk again in like 10 years, we can like do a recap. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we're, it may not be that long, but you know, who knows? Part two coming soon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. On site. Oh, there we go. Yes. Bring your mobile We got the mobile gear and we'll bring the video and we'll really um, have a great time. Yeah. Where do we find you? And like to buy? To buy, to see, oh. to, to w- enjoy. W- w- was it three W's? I don't think you do yeah, yeah. WWW yeah. anymore. I think H- you just T- say T- division. I think it's just divisionwineco.com if you want to check out our all gamay wine club. Exactly. And there's lots of other wine clubs on there too. Um, I love the fact that you have multiple wine clubs. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty um, leader of the pack again. So kind of, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. Because we're not one size fits all kind of winery. And we want people to know that there's things they can choose that are right for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's amazing because it usually is one size fits all. And I have one winery that I love. But I'm like, I just want your bubbles. That's all I want. And now they have a bubble club. Oh, wonderful. So I'm going to go ahead and take full credit for that because it was my idea originally. I'll call the owner and let him know that. But, um, you know, it is what it is. And I, you know, not every flavor is fit for everybody. So I think it's amazing. It's the beauty of having different palettes. It is. That's the beauty of wine, actually, is that you can try something and you can love it. And if you don't, just try something else. So, so, yeah, our brand new website, divisionwineco.com. Check it all out. Check it all out. Um, and then we're really lucky. We're really well distributed throughout the North America. So we're in 30 states now. Yowza. That's, um, a, good, that's a good number. Mm-hmm. And then you can also find us in South Korea. In Canada, eh? In Canada. <laughs> in all provinces of Canada. Uh, you can find us in Japan and in England, France. South Korea. Sweden. I said South oh, Korea yeah, already. Okay. Mm-hmm. England, France, and Sweden. Sweden. And we have just discussed how Sweden loves, loves or Oregon loves wine. Oregon wine. Loves. So there we go. Mm-hmm. That's where our seventh place ranking in the wine division came from mm-hmm. in 2021. So, okay. Last question of the day. You each 
get an answer. One answer. One, no, you each, nope, you each get an answer. So you're totally separate people right now. Okay, you get one celebrity that you get to go drink wine with. You get to take one bottle of your wine and you get to pick the snack. Oh, God. Dead or alive. They don't have to be living. They can be whoever you feel is interesting and fun. Oh, oh my goodness. That's a hard one. After you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I always say I Steven Tyler, and I think I've changed my mind on my drive home from Idaho yesterday. I think I love a good old country boy that wants to go fishing and drinking and whatever. So I'm thinking Blake Shelton is probably my new choice. I'm going to stick with country and say I want to take Willie Nelson out. Ooh. And I think that Willie Nelson would... I hope you bring some weed, too. (laughs) (laughs) We do live in Oregon. Comes together, right? What would I take for Willie to drink? Hmm. I think he would really love our Salma Gundy, which is our, like, pizza wine. And it'll go great with barbecue also. And what was the snack? Oh, well, I just said pizza and barbecue. So (laughs) there we go. (laughs) You can take pizza and barbecue, or you can bring... A third. A third. You make it a smorgasbord. A smorgasbord, but not barbecue pizza. I fucking hate that shit. No. Barbecue chicken pizza. You know what I'm talking about? I'm I'm with you as well. I was like, those things do not belong together. That is an American mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Say that right now. Yes. Okay, Tom, you're up. Why don't you stick with country? Why don't we go all country? Well, my first thought, and this was just because I was the first thing that popped in my head was of his just exploration of great drinking places but I thought of Ernest Hemingway and he likes gin and tonics though but he lived in Paris and drank wine all for like but but I don't know I don't like I'm not like a super fan of. I mean what would you talk to him about I don't know I'm just like thinking this would be like a totally mind-blowing conversation but all right so who would I take out to have what (laughs) which wine all right, Kate, we're going to stick with country. You took Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess you can't have Willie Nelson without his compadre, uh, Waylon Jennings, in the mix. Mm-hmm. Ooh, the party's going to get yeah. good. It's going to really get good. good. I, I was thinking you were going to invite Dolly. Oh, I think I'm going to stick with Waylon. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> Way- that would be a great party. Waylon had a huge aficionado, I think, for chicken fried steak. So we would take chicken fried steak, Waylon Jennings, and it's an affinity, not an aficionado, but you're cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. He might be a chicken fried steak aficionado. How about that? There That's, we go. There we go. I'm yeah, he, <laughs> he likes, is an aficionado. He, he's, on his tour bus, I read his book. He was like, we would go to these diners and we would like rate all of the chicken fried Can steak. Can I come? Because I love chicken fried steak. Yeah. So, Ooh, and I love I mean, this good is gravy. probably why he died when he was like 65. Probably. But, yeah, so, okay, Waylon, chicken fried steak, and which wine do I take with us? Well, I guess we have to have Gamay because it is the most versatile wine, and I would take our new Gala bottling with mm, us. Sounds good. That nobody knows about yet. I know. Ooh, Sneak I right love here. world exclusives, so, you know, announcements of something that you don't really know chicken about yet. Chicken fried steak and Gala. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There we go. So what are you feeding Blake Shelton then? Oh, jeez. So I'm pretty good on the grill, so I'm gonna go with a tri-tip um, with some roasted potatoes and that's not a snack, that's a meal. It is if you put them together <laughs> and then on a homemade roll. So <laughs> you kind of great. have like Little, um, like, like a big bun. old <laughs> slimy slider that Sounds goes great. together. No, with, I love that none yeah. of us mentioned anything green. <laughs> no, no, why would you do that? That's not. Well, I guess some people really like it as a snack. I don't. Um, if you're gonna go with a country boy, you need to actually have like meat, potatoes, and mm-hmm. carbs. So, and as far as wine, oh gosh, 
Um, I'm going to take one of your wines and I've only had the Pinot and I've only had the Sauv at this point. So I'm going to take the Sauv because it was really kick-ass and we better bring some cookies. Some cookies. Cookies. Yeah. Yeah. From the sweetest thing because, you know, Allie kills it every time she brings me some. It was very kind of Yes, yes. Yes. Well, you two, again, we could do this for hours, but we should probably part ways, go eat the snacks that are out on the table and drink some more wine. So... And we will follow up with part two at some point in the near future. (laughs) And uh, we will announce it then. So thank you for joining us. I will be back at some point to the winery or some location, and we will explore everything that you guys have to offer as far as wine. 30 bottlings. We're just going to do it. I'm just going to have to get like a room for the night in Portland (laughs) and and an Uber. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, you two. We'll chat soon. Thank Thank you, Thank you.